0: Let me encourage you to join me now as we do each Lord's Day by taking our copy of God's Word and turning to our passages this morning. And our passages are Proverbs chapter 1, verses 8 through 19 and 1 Corinthians And we We're going to be spending most of our time in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30. Uh, We will reference back to the Proverbs 1, 8 through 19 passage, which was our passage last week Uh, so we kind of get the best of both worlds this morning we get both the old testament and the new testament but we find in first corinthians one thirty uh how it ties in with the wisdom we've been talking about in proverbs chapter one uh so forth so uh, so 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 forth and so as we have been and lord willing we will make it through the sermon this week without one of my children getting stuck in something and needing uh all the help to get out of so we'll pray for that as well but we will we will here in a moment read First Corinthians one thirty together. Let me pray for us uh, before we do that, Lord. We thank you for this time to be together in your Word, uh, Lord. Uh, encourage us in this. Uh, may we see Jesus. May we hear Jesus. May my words only speak of the glories and the wonders and the beauty of Jesus, and may the ears of your people here only hear that. If there's anyone here this morning who does not know you as Lord and Savior, uh, Father. Uh, we pray you would use this time to bring them that much closer to you. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for this word that always points us to him. And may we, may we be refreshed in him this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So 1 Corinthians 1.30, and we will stand together now for the reading of God's word. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Amen. You may be seated. Be killing sin, our sin will kill you. Be killing sin... Our sin will be killing you. If you've been with us for any amount of time, you're probably somewhat familiar with this quote that we've used several times from the Puritan John Owen. I think we've used it enough where it does sound familiar to you. But in that quote is the continuance of what we talked about last Sunday, and that's the wisdom of violence. We don't often think of the Christian faith as being a violent faith, right? we It's a peaceful faith. We turn the other cheek. We follow the Prince of Peace. It's all kind of warm sunshine and puppy dogs and and flowers, right? We don't think of it as being violence, But the Christian faith is a violent faith. There's biblical wisdom for us to be violent against sin. Be killing sin or it will be killing you. Last Sunday, as we looked at this Proverbs passage, we saw how violent sin and Satan is against us and our souls. And God wants us to make no mistake about it. There is no one and there is nothing that hates you more than sin and Satan. Now we've been tricked into thinking they're kind of like our, our Eddie Haskell friends, right? Referring back to, to Leave it to Beaver, right? The mischievous friends who will sometimes get us into trouble, but sometimes we'll have a good time with them. What the Bible tells us is no. Sin and Satan are not our friends. They do not lead us to a good life. They don't lead us to good times that make for good memories. What the Proverbs passage tells us sin and Satan wants to see your blood shed. Is that a friend? Who wants to see your blood spilt on the ground? That longs to ambush us. As soon as we turn our backs to come after us. To drag our souls to hell. And to take all the good from our lives. That when you think about the ultimate goal of sin and Satan, it's destruction and devastation. To destroy your lives, your families, your church, to devastate all that's good, to destroy you eternally. From the very beginning, Satan makes it clear that he said against us Did God really say that seed of doubt? Can you really trust God? Sin and Satan are unabashedly set against us. They hate us. They want to see nothing more than to see our eternal destruction and devastation. And that's the testimony of Scripture. That's testimony of Scripture beginning in Genesis 3 and moving onward. That's the testimony we see around us. We, we see the result of that in people's lives. I Many lives we have seen ruined by sin and Satan. Maybe we've seen that, some of that destruction and devastation in our own lives. Hence the wisdom, be killing sin or it will be killing you. So that's the biblical wisdom of violence. We are called to be violent against our sins. We're not to trust Satan. We're not to, 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 to let down our guards, to, 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 to open the, the, the guard, the gates to our kingdom, and to trust. We're never to lay down our weapons of defense because Satan never goes off of offense. There's never a time Satan looks at us and goes, kind of like that guy. Never lets down attacking coming after us, or seeking to destroy us. We have to be killing sin. Our sin will kill us. And the key to this biblical wisdom of violence is found in Jesus Christ. It's not found in us. It's not found in other means or ways or or any sort of philosophical uh, uh, schools out there. It's simply in and through Christ and faith in him. And that's part of the wisdom of the book of Proverbs. One of the wonderful things we learn about Scripture is that it's all tied together. Proverbs doesn't just stand on its own. <clears throat> it's tied with the other 65 books in the Bible. So we take the wisdom of Proverbs, we turn to the New Testament, such as passages we find this morning in 1 Corinthians 1, and we see that Jesus Christ is identified as the incarnation of God's wisdom. So we read through the book of Proverbs and we find this is the sharing of God's wisdom. Then we go to the New Testament and find that Jesus Christ is the incarnation of God's wisdom. So which means the end goal of the book of of, of Proverbs is Jesus Christ. That every proverb, every bit of wisdom here has as its end goal, Jesus Christ. All the wisdom in this book of wisdom is meant to point us to Jesus. Because Jesus is the incarnation of God's wisdom. To point us to Jesus and to follow this wisdom through faith in the one who is wisdom for his people. So Jesus Christ is the goal, the end of the wisdom of the book of Proverbs. So we understand that that, Then that brings us back to our point. That the only way we can be violent against our sin is in and through Jesus Christ. The only way we can be violent against sin is when we are in Christ through faith because of his violence against sin. And again, we tend to think of Jesus as the Prince of Peace, turns the other cheek, loves everybody, puppy dogs and cats and little fawns that show up at the back door of your church. But when we think of Jesus' incarnational ministry, we find it's a very violent ministry. It's very violent against sin, And very violent on our behalf. And this violence begins in Bethlehem. And this violence begins in the manger. That the Christmas story is a violent story. We don't think of it that way, do we? We're six months away from Christmas and the Christmas season, right? And Little baby Jesus away in a manger... You know, uh, shepherds showing up and little drummer boy who's not in the Bible and should never be sung about because it's whatever. But we think of this little, you know, wonderful little, uh, you know, uh, beautiful birth scene, but it's a very violent scene. When we look at it through the lens of what Paul says in Galatians chapter four, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Why was Jesus born? To make a a good story, uh, a good heartwarming, uh, warm and fuzzy story we celebrate every year around Christmas. No, Jesus was born for a mission. And the mission was violence of going after Satan and sin. Quick history lesson. Does anybody know what today's anniversary of? D Day, boy, we got somebody got that really quick. That's awesome. Right. Today is the anniversary of D Day, and I'm not going to even try to figure out how many years it's been. Does anybody know how long? I don't trust how He's he's talking to me. anybody else want to do the math? No, I'm sure. How many years? Seventy-seven. Seventy-seven years since D Day. Uh, HBO several years ago uh, did a series uh, called Band of Brothers. I don't know if you've ever seen it. It Comes from a book, uh, and I've been rewatching that series, and it follows a group of soldiers. It begins with them in boot camp. But it also picks up on them on D-Day. And their mission was very simple. They're to to parachute into Normandy. And they're to go find Nazis. And they're to kill Nazis. That's their mission. Parachute in. Gather up their other soldiers. Go and find Nazis where they are. Either in bunkers or other strongholds. Wherever they're gathered, go after Nazis. And to do battle with them and to kill them. That was their mission. That was the mission on D-Day. And when Jesus was born that first Christmas night in Bethlehem, he came on a similar mission. He came to do battle against Satan. He came to go up against Satan, which he did by being born under the law so he could perfectly obey the law. There's a sense where Jesus was born in enemy territory so he could go against sin and Satan by living perfectly under the law. So Jesus' violence was the violence of obedience. Jesus' violence against sin and Satan was the violence of obedience. He lived according to all of God's word and law. He never once strayed from it. When we read through the Gospels, we find that Jesus never once set his foot on the path of wickedness and folly. <clears throat> when Satan came to him after 40 days of fasting in the desert and Satan personally tempted him, what did Jesus do? He obeyed God's word. When the world was seeking to tempt him, what did Jesus do? He obeyed God's word. Even when his own disciples were tempting him, and he had to say to Peter, get behind me, Satan, he obeyed God's word. That violence of obedience, he never erred. He never failed. He never even set the, the tip of his pinky toenail on the path of the wicked. Jesus was on this mission of obedience against sin and Satan. So the incarnation of God's wisdom was violent against sin through obedience to God and his word and law. It is the violence of obedience. Now, often we think of obedience as violence. It's when people disobey that it becomes violent, right? The, uh, the riots and, and things such as that. When they disobey, It becomes violence, but we find in the perfection of Jesus Christ, the violence, perfect violence of perfect obedience against sin and Satan. It's interesting to note what that can mean for us, couldn't it? Our violence of obedience. But I want us to notice that Paul says that Jesus did this for a reason, and the reason was for us. Not only was he born under the law, but did you notice why he said he was born under the law? To redeem those who are also under the same law so we might receive adoption as sons. What Paul is saying is that Jesus was born under the law to perfectly obey because you and I can't. We fail as soon as we are able. We're talking about this morning in communicants class uh, and asking, asking our children Who taught them how to have a temper tantrum? And they looked around and they said, nobody? I said, you you mean your parents did not sit you down and said, if you really want something, here's how the best throw a fit so you can get it. And they looked at me like I had, you know, three heads on. Like, no, of course not. I said, then why? Where'd you learn how to be? Where'd you learn temper tantrums from? Because We're sinners. See, we start sinning as soon as we're able because we are born sinners and we keep on sinning. We are unable to be perfectly violent through obedience. Yet Jesus is and Jesus was. And he did so on our behalf. His violence was for our freedom. His violence was for our adoption. His violence was for our eternity. So does violence wisdom of violence that the book of Proverbs is talking about, it points us to Jesus' perfect obedience on our behalf. It's like Paul says at the end of Rome, or beginning of Romans, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son into likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin he condemned sin in the flesh, in order... That the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. But that perfect life and obedience led to his perfect death. Peter says, "He himself bore our sins and his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness by his wounds." He have been healed. If you've been around the church long enough, you remember that passage. Have you ever taken notice how personal Peter makes the cross of Jesus to us? It's not that Jesus kind of bore general overall sins on the cross. At every every point where he can, he makes it personal. Jesus himself, not a representative of Jesus, not a shadow of Jesus, uh, not a part of Jesus. Jesus himself, the personal Jesus, the incarnate God, bore what? Our sins. Your sins and my sins. And how personal is it? He bore them in his body on the cross. That's I mean, Peter's making it as personal as possible. Jesus Christ himself, the incarnation of God, the second person of the Trinity, God incarnate, Emmanuel, (coughs) took all your sins. Every bit of your sins, he bore in his body on the tree. So when we talk about the fact that Jesus died on the cross for you I me, mean, this isn't some warm, fuzzy feeling that makes us feel good. This is the truth of God's word. God himself took every cuss word, every perverted thought, every drunken night, every sexual immorality, every bit of gossip, every lie, every disobedience. He took all of that. Everything you try to hide away away from other people, he took that and bore his body on the tree, on the cross. When we think of the physical and spiritual violence that took place on the cross, it happened to a real Jesus for our sake. This isn't a hypothetical, this isn't a, a theoretical ethereal that we kind of just knock around our heads. The real God was really crucified for the real you and for your real sins. That's the violence of the cross, the violence of his death. But there's a reason for that. So we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Your Christianity isn't like getting into a private club where you get that magical ID card that gets us into different places, Right? Christianity is about the incarnation of wisdom dying to change us. An unchanging Christian is not a Christian. A Christian who is not dying to sin is not a Christian. God's wisdom changes us, and we see that through the effects of the cross. Paul says later on uh, in 1 Corinthians, or says in 1 Corinthians 1.18, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved is the power of God. Yes, the cross sounds ridiculous to the world because it hasn't changed No, It just sounds like some weird sadomasochistic story, doesn't it? But for those who know Jesus Christ, we know it is the gospel. The wisdom of violence leads Jesus to the cross so we might die to sin, And live to righteousness. And that leads us to our own violence. If you get a chance later on. Read through Romans chapter 6. Let me read just these few verses for us. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin? That grace may abound by no means. How can we who died to sin. Still live in it? Do you not know that all of us. Who have been baptized into Christ Jesus. Were baptized into his death. We were buried therefore with him. By baptism into death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. Jesus' violence against sin and Satan and his perfect life, obedience, and death is what is now imputed to us or is credited to us, meaning that his violence is our violence. Our shepherd, our elder brother, has gone before us to take on sin and Satan. So when we are united to him in faith, that his work and victory becomes ours and we are now enabled to continue to battle. Jesus has won the war and enabled us to continue on in battle. And this wisdom of violence we find in Jesus and his life and ministry is the wisdom of His people. It's the wisdom for us to know and to study, wisdom for us to follow. It's only through faith in Jesus that we can be violent against sin. It's only when we have faith in Jesus and his life and death and resurrection that we can even want to be violent against sin. And this morning... We are to come together before the Lord's table where we are reminded of this violence. Jesus' body broken for our sins. Jesus' blood spilt for our salvation. One of the most violent deaths ever, but a violent death against sin and Satan. So this table reminds us of the wisdom of violence in Jesus. It spiritually nourishes us, grows us in grace so we can continue to battle with our sins in Christ and for Christ's glory, so we can hold on to that, which should be our motto, be killing sin or it will be killing you. Let's pray.